Okay. <laughs> but the uh, Lopez family is uh, down in Santiago uh, now and um, scouting out uh, what will actually hopefully uh, be another work um, getting started uh, in uh, 2019 as we uh, rally together uh, for an effort. So uh, that's exciting and good. So keep praying, praying, praying always praying. Okay. So God is uh, moving in Chicago, but we know that Chicago is not only uh, one thing that God's doing, but God's moving all over the world. Right. Amen. And so we want to absolutely be a part of that. And you can find out more information as we go along. So with that in mind, um, it's good to see you today. My name is Roland. I'm the uh, lead pastor here and wanted to tell you that uh, we have a special uh, birthday today in Oscar Setuan. <laughs> Oscar. Yes, there he is. Okay, yes. Oscar's birthday is today, so show him some love. Um, and uh, we also have uh, the honeymooners back. So Ryan and Chris, where are they? Yes, just married. Yes. So show them some love. Get all the marital tips that you can, and uh, <laughs> it'll be good. And so, guys, it is um, fun and exciting. And again, congratulations to all of our uh, graduates who are um, going to be um, making their way into the world and uh, serving God in various capacities. So if you've been with us, what we've been doing is we've been going through a series called Rebuilding the Altars. Uh, and what we've been doing is we've been going through the books of the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, to try to understand how God takes seasons of our lives and really takes them to refresh us to help us to grow in him and to help us to um, actually build our lives upon worship. Um, worship in the sense of not just singing songs on a Sunday morning, but worship that we're giving to him with all of our lives, meaning our lives being a very sacrifice to God. And so to do so, what we've been doing is we've been going through the book of Ezra. Uh, the past couple of weeks, we made sure to give an introduction to Ezra um, because it is sort of camped in the Old Testament in such a way that you need to know what in the world he's talking about, why in the world he's talking about it, and what he's referring to. And so if you do not uh, have a, an understanding of the book of Ezra, please go back and listen to a couple of the uh, sermons that we just went through. Um, but today what we're going to do is we're going to pick up where we left off in uh, Ezra chapter 2 and 3. Two and three, and today we're going to talk about rebuilding the altars in two two sections. Number one, really rebuilding altars of worship in our life uh, through rhythms that we establish. Well, a lot of times we get off rhythm and we sort of get off of our uh, rhythms that help us to connect with God, his people, and one another whenever um, we're going through the rigmarole of life and it comes at us in a hard way. Um, but what God does in rebuilding the altars is reestablish rhythms in our life. And then number two, um, he reestablishes rotations, rotations through which we take that worship that we're uh, giving to him and we serve him outwardly. So he does an inward work, which is always the first thing that God does by the Holy Spirit, right? By his word in the Holy Spirit, he does an inward work, and then it manifests itself outwardly. So there are rhythms and rotations that actually help us to accomplish that. So let's pray today, and then we'll get started. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness um, towards us today. God, we thank you that your word is um, the thing that sanctifies us, that sets us apart to you, that helps us to become more like Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Lord, we thank you for, first and foremost, the gospel that enabled us to be reconciled to you, that Jesus, you came and you lived a perfect, sinless life in our place, and you died on that cross sacrificially to take our punishment, and then you were victoriously raised from the dead three days later so that we might 
might not only have forgiveness of sins, but new life in you. And God, we're asking that even after we say, yes, we believe God. Yes, we've been forgiven. Yes, we love you, God. We pray that you would help us to establish lives of worship that honor you and live lives worthy of the calling you have upon us through your word in Jesus name. Amen. All right, so today, if you have a Bible, let's turn to Ezra chapter 3. We're going to talk, first of all, about the rhythms that God establishes in our life. So, um, first of all, if you look at uh, Ezra, we know that uh, under King Cyrus and fulfillment of the word of Jeremiah, the Israelites were sent back to Jerusalem. They were sent back to the place of worship to reestablish or rebuild altars of worship unto God. Now, to do so, he appointed, first of all, leadership, and then also gave them a plan. He appointed leadership in... Yeshua, who was the priest, and he helped to um, order the building of the altars and the sacrifices that were given to God in Jerusalem as they were rebuilding the altars in that place. And then also Zerubbabel, who was the governor of the land, and he would establish the law of God in that place. And so under their leadership, you see in Ezra chapter 2, we're not going to read through that today, but it talks about a genealogy that went back with them. They numbered their tribes, and they had people from the different tribes going back and establishing worship in that place. And the first thing that that can tell us is that whenever they were reestablishing worship, they did it as a community, right? It's sort of like the worship that took place was, um, it was exaggerated. It was, it was amplified. It was given God, the, giving God the glory that he deserves when it was part of the community. So it's one thing to have a devotion to God on your own. It's another thing to serve God and worship him within a community that amplifies the worship that he's actually do. And what we see too is that when they returned to Jerusalem, they were also known by one another. It wasn't enough that the people of God began to reestablish worship in that place, but it said that they had to be numbered according to their genealogy, meaning that in their case, the Levites who were going to serve at the temple and offer the sacrifices, they had to be part of a certain natural line, right? And if they weren't part of the Levitical line, they were excluded from that type of worship that was being offered. Now, for us as Christians today, this is important because God calls us a priesthood of believers, right? We're all priests unto the Lord through the Lord Jesus Christ. We get to all offer sacrifices, our very lives as living sacrifices to God. But part of the way that you do that is, number one, you're known by God, but you're also known by the community in which you found yourself, right? There needs to be a sort of a sense of being known. And why do you need to be known? Because you need other people to help sharpen you in your worship to God. Is that not true? It's sort of like you worship God with the things that the Holy Spirit puts on your heart or that the word himself through his word he shows you. But then there are also people who speak into your life by the word of God and by the spirit of God and encourage you and help you and champion the things that God's doing. And part of that being known as a priesthood helps you to acceptably offer sacrifices of worship unto God. And that's what Ezra chapter 2 was about. You could go back and read that later. But now we're in Ezra 3. Ezra 3, where he's helping us to establish rhythms in our life that will help us to worship God acceptably. So read along with me, if you would, starting in verse 1. It said, when the seventh month came and the children of Israel were in the towns, the people gathered as one man to Jerusalem, right? There was a sense of unity about them in everything that they did. It wasn't just an independent spirituality or faith, but it was the people of God coming together to worship. 
Then arose Yeshua, who I already mentioned, the son of Josedek, with his fellow priest, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, with his kinsmen. And they built the altar of God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. So they're offering sacrifices, as we talked about a couple weeks ago. Part of worship is offering sacrifices to God, showing an outward expression of the love that he's birthed in you inwardly for he and his kingdom. They set the altar in its place, for fear was on them because of the peoples of the lands. And they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings, and here we go, morning and evening. And they kept the feast of booths, as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings by number, according to the rule, as each day required. And after that, the regular burnt offerings, the offerings at the new moon and at the appointed feasts of the Lord, and the offerings of everyone who made a freewill offering to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. But the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. So they gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food, drink, and oil to the Sidonians and Tyrians um, to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the sea to Joppa, according to the grant that they had from Cyrus, king of Persia. So when we look at this, we see basically God is starting to, through the Israelites, establish, reestablish rather, worship in this place. And to do so, before the temple could be built, he says, worship, the altars of sacrifice have to be established. But what you see referenced here are a lot of Old Testament um, uh, ceremonies, festivals, annual in nature, that as Christians don't necessarily make us Christian, okay? They, don't, are, they aren't part of the requirement to be a Christian in order to be a believer in Jesus. Everything that you saw in the Old Testament was a foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that was in the Old Testament was a foreshadowing of who he would be to us before God and in our relationship with him. So we don't necessarily celebrate all of the Old Testament festivals like the Feast of Booths which commemorated the people of God's dependence upon him and even their coming out of Egypt and even his provision for them. What happened is that it was at the end of the harvest season and at the end of them bringing in all of their our agricultural supply, meaning they got paid, what happened is, is that they worshiped God with all that he had provided for them. And so what happened is, is that they started to reinstitute. They started to reinstate these things in the midst of their worship to God. They also started to reinstate the burnt offerings. And the burnt offerings were things that helped the people of God make atonement for their sin. So as they were worshiping God and as they were serving him out in the community and out in the day, there came a point where they had to make atonement. And the good news is we don't offer animals any longer, right? We don't offer animals any longer in sacrifice for our sins unto God. But Jesus was our perfect lamb, right? Jesus was our sinless lamb. Jesus was the one who once and for all provided that sacrifice for us so that we could be reconciled to a holy, perfect, pure God. But in the same way, there are certain rhythms and lessons that we can learn that help them to steer their hearts, right? If you have children, it's one thing to give them commands. It's another thing to help steer their hearts. Isn't that right? It's sort of like you've got to help take them by the hand and encourage them and give them certain boundaries and parameters that are going to help them cultivate the very thing they may want to do but need help to accomplish it. And God does that for us in giving 
giving us rhythms in an Old Testament foreshadowing of our relationship with Christ. So what do those rhythms look like? Well, we see that in this scripture, particularly the things that they reestablished were both annual and they were daily, right? There were things that were annual and there were things that were daily. Things that we do annually were things that we celebrated just a couple of weeks ago, right? Like our Easter celebration. Every year we celebrate the resurrection, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to, in essence, press a reset button on all of our focus, right? Saying that regardless of what we've believed God for or what we experience during the year, our hope is eternal, Our hope comes from Jesus and his reconciliatory work on the cross, right? But also, there's a daily sacrifice that was given. And it was the sacrifice of the burnt offering. And what we see with it was it was in the morning and in the evening that helped them establish their continued heart before God, saying, I'm not just waiting for annual celebrations like Easter or Christmas or even um, just different things that we um, point to and say, that's a holy moment in my uh, calendar year for the Lord. But I'm giving my God my daily sacrifice and my daily worship. There was a man named G.K. Chesterton in his book, Orthodoxy. Has anybody heard this of this book before? Okay, or G.K. Chesterton. Okay, he's a British man, dead. He's dead, all right. So here's the point. Okay, it's an older book. But he said this. He said, as long as the vision of heaven is always changing, the vision of earth will be exactly the same. What, what, what's he talking about there, right? Things are being thrown at you every day, right? And our whole motto here is Christ, community, and culture. You meet Jesus, you get into community, he changes your heart, and then you go back and impact culture. But many times we don't see the extent of the cultural change that God wants to bring in a city, in a nation, in the nations of the earth, because we're off in terms of our vision of heaven, right? All the things that are commonly, continually coming at us are infiltrating our thinking and our passions and our affections. And because we don't have rhythms that connect us continually to God, his word and his unchanging nature, the unchanging nature of his purpose, it says that the vision of earth can't be changed either. Why? Because our vision of heaven is continually changing. God in his picture, our picture of him is continually off. And he says, no ideal, GK Chesterton said, no ideal will remain long enough to be realized or even partly realized. The modern young man will never change his environment for he will always be changing his mind. He'll always be changing his mind. And is that not true in the things that come at us, right? It's like the convictions that we had at first, they begin to wane or they begin to go away unless we have the rhythms of God to counteract that. Unless we have the rhythms of God, we're morning and evening, we're going before him saying, God, my life, my heart, my thinking is once again offered to you in worship, in worship. So practically, what does that mean? That means, yes, Christian, it does not mean that you need to stop coming to church. You need to show up at church to worship with the people of God. But church does not need to be all that there is. Hello. Amen. It does not need to be all that there is. He's saying, I'm giving you a frequency of morning and evening that you offer sacrifices to me. Not for your righteousness sake. You understand that. Your righteousness is found in Jesus alone. But in your interaction with him, morning and evening, let there be sacrifices that are given. Why? Because when you start the day, you need to start your day with God. You need to start your day with God. 
And yes, everybody say, well, I got to get up early in the morning. Good. Good. The early bird gets the worm. And Jesus got up early in the morning too. Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. It said that early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. That's right. Son of God had some discipline about him. He got up and didn't just roll with the fact that I'm divinity. I can do what I want to do. No, he got up probably when he didn't want to, while it was dark, went to a solitary place, and he prayed, meaning that he knew he was here on a mission. And I hope all of you as Christians know that you're on a mission to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. And he went to meet with the Father, downloading his mission for the day. And he went into the day with marching orders from God. So much so that even amidst all that he was doing, the people came and they looked for him. And they were like, listen, Jesus, Jesus, everybody's looking for you. Don't you know you have to make yourself available to him, to them? And he said, hey, listen, guys, I appreciate what I was able to do here, but I got to go to another village and preach there also, because that's why I've come. He was on a mission. He wasn't just responding to the day. He was getting marching orders from the Father by giving sacrifices of himself during the morning and saying, God, show me how you're going to shoot me out as an arrow on mission for you into this city, into this generation today. And he did it while it was still dark. And then it's not just giving the sacrifice in the morning, it's going with that strength throughout the day, right? We often talk about prayer, but the prayer is corporate, yes, it's individual, yes, but it's also ongoing. It's praying throughout the day, right? Praying continually, saying, God, I'm continually interacting with you. God, I'm continually getting a download from you. God, I'm continually living off of the smell, right? Here's the thing, living off of the smell of that offering that I burnt in the morning, Anybody ever cook something in your house or your apartment and then it fills, the smell of it fills the whole room or the entire apartment? My, my fire alarm, when I cook, regularly goes off, my smoke alarm. <laughs> and I'm like, and if I've tried to do, so, I've tried many a time to do something nice for me, like, you know, breakfast in bed and all that stuff, but then the alarm goes off and it's all ruined. You know what I mean? But the point is, she's like, what is that? I'm like, it's your breakfast, babe. You know, but the point is, is that I'm living off the smell of it, right? We got to open the doors and the window. That's the same thing that the sacrifice, the morning sacrifice is supposed to be like, right? Throughout the day, you're saying, God, yes, you've given me my marching orders, but I'm continually looking to you. I'm continually in the workplace speaking to you. I'm continually looking, putting up my antennas for your direction and for your will. And at the end of the day, thank God, God is faithful, right? Even in the midst of challenges, we experience, we experience God's faithfulness. So at the end of the day, sacrifices are given as well in terms of our relating to God. You start your day with God and you also end your day with God, right? It's sort of like if you're married, you better relate to one another before you go to work and also at the end of the day, right? Anybody like a little pillow talk at night? Anybody like, is that, anybody, is that sometimes the bulk of your conversation because of how thing, busy things are, right? It's sort of like the pillow talk at the end of the day, you give the sacrifice to God and you thank him for his faithfulness. But in the burnt offering, it was also a time to reset. It was also a time to say, God, I'm also repenting of the mistakes that I've made throughout the day. Because even when you start your day with God, has anyone ever made mistakes though you started your day with God? I'm talking about sin, okay? And actually blown it in the commands of God. Well, at the end of the day, here's the good news. You also go to bed not with a guilty conscience, 
not feeling like you have to run from God or your spouse or anybody else that you might have made a mistake with, but you're also offering those sacrifices to say, God, wash me once again in the blood of the Lamb. Wash me once again in that holy, righteous blood that cleanses me so that I don't have to go to bed with guilt or shame or any type of rejection feeling like I am distant from God. He says, my mercies are new every morning. Get ready to start again. And those rhythms help establish that for you. They give you ongoing and perpetual hope. And is that not what Christians need? You need perpetual hope that's found in his sinless life, his death, burial, and resurrection. Always faith, always hope, always desire for a new thing. Martin Luther, who actually obviously uh, was uh, a spearhead for the Reformation, he actually said this about his um, divided time with God. He said, I divide each biblical command into four parts. Now, why am I referencing this? This is on the screen. I'm just going to ask you to listen. Um, The reason that we're talking about this is because this is a great way. Again, I'm reiterating the Purple Book Challenge. We ordered about 100 this past week, so there is one for you. Yes. Okay, but the thing is, is that this is a great Bible study to actually utilize practically so that if you've not known where to start in the Bible, there are 12 chapters here going from sin and salvation, lordship and obedience, repentance and baptism, the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts, the church and like world missions, evangelism, all the whole shebang. It breaks it down in bite-sized pieces, 12 chapters, about four to five lessons in the midst of those chapters, and you can use it as a devotional, right? And you can divide the word of God up in such a way that, again, I've done this multiple times, not just once at the beginning of my walk with God, but multiple times throughout my life, because not only do I want to live it, but I want to be able to clearly articulate the truths of the faith, making disciples to others so that they might also worship God in kind as well, right? So if you've not gotten one, please do not leave church without it today. Go and pick yours up. They're in the back for you. But this is how Martin Luther described his time. He did not use the purple book. No, that is not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that he divided up his time of worship in this way. He said, I divide each biblical command. So as you're reading the Bible, how do we read the Bible? How do we worship? If we're offering sacrifices in the morning and the evening, how do I engage God in an appropriate manner? He said, I divide each biblical command into four parts. So you're reading the scripture and then you're meditating on it, right? You're thinking about it over and over again. How do I put this into practice in my life? He said, thereby fashioning a garland of four strands. That is, I think of each commandment as first instruction. The first thing that he does when he's reading the Bible that you should do when you're reading the Bible to worship God effectively is to see it as instruction. God's giving you something to do. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands, right? In discipleship, he said, go out into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything he's commanded you. Where does that come from? It comes from his word. First is instruction. Then he goes back and he says this. He says, the first command is instruction, which is really what it's intended to be, and consider what the Lord God demands of me so earnestly. Then he says, second, I turn to it, as thanksgiving. Part of worship is thanksgiving, right? I'm continually saying, God, I see this truth, but I'm thanking you for what you've done for me. I'm thanking you for what I see in my everyday life. This turns every biblical text into a school text, a song book, a penitential book, and a prayer book. Why? Because the third 
the third part of things is after Thanksgiving, a confession. A confession where you're saying, God, I see your commands. I want to obey it. God, I give you thanks for what you've done and I worship you for it. But then God, I also confess where I've missed the mark. I confess where I've missed the mark. And see, here's where we often perpetuate in our going astray is when we never confess and repent. We don't confess and repent. So cycles begin in our lives that are going on for days and months and sometimes years. Why? Because we don't have the rhythm of God to actually day and night confess and repent of the thing that he's instructing us about. Can anybody think of something that maybe God has put his finger on in your life that you've been dealing with for not days, not months, but even years? Anybody at all? Okay, come on now, let's be honest. Anybody have something in your life that, you know, back it up a little bit. Maybe he just brought it up a couple months ago, but it's still not dealt with. Anybody there? Anybody have him bring up something maybe just in the past couple of days? And he's like, hey, I want you to focus on this. Okay? See, those seasons, those rhythms help us to actually utilize the scripture to say, you know what? Morning and night, I'm receiving the instruction. I'm thanking him for what he's done. So my security is the same, right? It's Jesus and his love for me, Jesus and his sacrifice for me. And so I'm able to deal with confidently that which he's putting his finger on that I need to repent of, right? Because it's not casting me out. It's actually, he's, it's actually drawing me near. And in that season of sacrifice, I'm able to deal with it if I intentionally go about it. And then finally, you make it a prayer. The fourth thing that Mar uh, Martin Luther did is he made it a prayer. So first, right? First, it was the instruction. Number two was the thanksgiving. Number three, it was the repentance, right? The ongoing repentance. And that's what John, um, even John the Baptist preached. I want you to bear fruit in keeping with repentance, not just a one-time thing. There is no such thing biblically as a sinner's prayer. You respond to Jesus and you keep responding to him in relationship with him, and then you pray it through. So God, the instruction that you've given me, this is a rhythm you've established in my life. Now work it out in me. And that's why how we're able to fulfill Paul's command where he said to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. What he did inside of you, work it out so it manifests. Work it out so it actually looks like worship in your everyday life. And that leads to, from the rhythms to the rotations. Let's end with Ezra chapter 3. He says in Ezra chapter 3, verse 8, now in the second year after their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month, Zerubbabel, <coughs> the son of Shealtiel, and Yeshua, the son of Josedek, made a beginning. So you're here today because God's made a beginning in you. Good news, right? But his good news is, is that he wants to complete it in you. He says that the work that I started in you, I want to bring to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. So just because you started the race well doesn't mean he's finished with you. It means that you've got to get these rhythms inside of you, which God himself establishes and institutes to complete the work he started in you. The rhythms help God to have tracks to run on so that he can complete the work he started. The rhythms are his design, not your own. You would like to say, I would like to say, I don't need rhythms. I don't need structure. Anybody like me? You prefer not to have structure in your life? Yeah, it's sort of, okay. 
<laughs> you know, for, few people are like, no, <laughs> don't you say that again. Okay, so here's the thing. But God, God is very structured. God is very structured. Matter of fact, he gives us the perfect law. Law is structure, is it not? The law of the spirit of life, even a structure, leads us to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, right? Those are things that are structured by the Holy Spirit. And he says, I give you structure, he says in James, that leads to freedom, the perfect law that leads to freedom. I'm giving you rhythms to free you. Isn't that funny? I give you structure to, in fact, give you health. Is that not true naturally? He said you can't just eat whatever you want and expect to be healthy, right? You can't just do whatever you want, staying up all, at all hours of the night and expect to be healthy, right? He gives you structure and rhythms to give you health. And these rhythms are foreshadowed here to make you a healthy Christian. And then he's talking again with them starting the work, but they need to complete it. So Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Yeshua, the son of Josadak, made a beginning together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites, and all who had come to Jerusalem from the captivity. They appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to supervise the house of the Lord. So these are some of the Levitical tribe, the priests, right? And Yeshua with his sons and his brothers and Cadmiel and his sons, the sons of Judah, together supervised the workmen in the house of God along with the sons of Henadad and the Levites, their sons and brothers. And when the builders, we talked about building last week, laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests with their vestments came forward with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, the symbols to praise the Lord according to the directions of David given of Israel. And they sang responsibly, praising and giving thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. This is what we often think of when we think of the term worship, right? The, the rotation of things, the rotation of things, where it's like not just an inward work, but it's an outward work too. This was where God's saying, okay, you want to get these rhythms in place. It's one thing to read your word. It's one thing to pray. It is one thing to even have fellowship with other believers. But some of you in here need to learn to sing, to emote to God. You, you hear me? To actually open your mouths and tell God you love him. Open your mouth and communicate your affection to him. Is that not what we see here? Okay, I'm, I'm reading the same Bible you are. Okay, it said they responded and they said, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His love endures forever. What did they do? They were saying, I love you. I worship you. You are good. I'm proclaiming truths that are shaping my life and overflowing out of my life. What does worship do for you? It breaks chains for you. It breaks chains in your life. If you're down and you're depressed and you're bound by even sin, you need to get in the presence of God and begin to worship and proclaim not your greatness, but his. Not your ability, but his. Not your strength, but his. And when you enlarge God in your place, what happens is that he says, we're the spirit of the Lord. He sits enthroned upon the praises of his people. He sits enthroned, meaning that you're saying, God, I'm once again acknowledging your rulership in my life and over the earth. And you're enthroned in this place, no matter what I'm going through. 
And as I worship you, the Spirit of the Lord meets me there. And when the Spirit of the Lord meets me, then chains are broken. Because he said, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom. Morning and night. No matter what type of change you went into during that day. He says, go to him in the morning and don't just read the word. The word is good. Don't just pray. Prayer is good. But worship him. Worship him. Get an iPod if you need to go old school. Get your phone. Download something that exalts God. And put it on if you need some help. If you don't want to hear your own voice, let, turn it up. Here's somebody else who's been gifted. <laughs> That's what I do. And I'm like, God, I need to worship you in the morning and in the evening, praising you by faith at the beginning of day, at the beginning of the day for your goodness, and in the evening, praising you for your faithfulness at night. God, I'm honoring you. And every time I do, it doesn't matter how low I've gone, I'm lifted up again by the living God because of his greatness, his goodness, and his rhythms in Jesus Christ. What you need to learn to do is establish a rhythm for outward worship. Outward worship. Why do we kneel? Because it's an outward expression of our submission to God. Why do we lift our hands? It's an outward expression of our surrender. Why do we shout? Because we're overcoming those demonic voices that we've heard trying to discourage us in the opposite direction. And we're proclaiming instead, God, your victory. Your victory, Jesus, over sin and death. Your victory in my marriage. Your victory in my calling. Your victory in my health. Your victory in my life. You lift him up in rhythm, in rotation, in response to who he is and what he's done. And he says, not only will I set you free, I'll keep you free. I'll keep you free. I'll keep you dancing. I'll keep you full of joy and the Holy Spirit that he can provide. And so when we give ourselves to him in this way, with rhythms and rotations, we're able to fulfill our priesthood as a believer, right? Most people don't fulfill their priesthood as a believer because they're bound. But he's saying, I'm giving you rhythms to set you free so that you can serve me in freedom and in joy consistently because God's consistent. God's consistent. And he says, I'm not telling you you're not going to have struggle. Can, I, can anybody say amen to that? <laughs> he's like, but I'm your ever-present help. I'm your ever-present help in times of trouble. We'll end with this scripture, and then we'll be done. It was Jesus, whenever he was talking about <laughs> the uh, temple and the temple being his own body. Why do we know this? Because Jesus has overcome. Why can you overcome? Because Jesus has. And in him, he said, I'm making you more than a conqueror. Through Christ Jesus, through Christ Jesus who loves you. Not on your own, but through Christ Jesus who loves you. Through Christ Jesus who does battle for you. Through Christ Jesus who has already won the victory for you. So the Jews said to him, what sign, I'm sorry, John chapter 2, he said, what signs, the Jews said to him, will you show us for doing these things? You make all these promises. You make all these promises about life and freedom and joy. Okay, God. Anybody ever felt that way a little bit before? Uh, come on, be honest with me. Okay, God. 
appreciate those promises. So what kind of sign can you show us that you're going to be able to do these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple. <laughs> destroy this temple. And in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said it was taken 46 years to build this temple. You might say to yourself, I've been in this rigmarole, I've been in this pattern for years, and I can't get out. You're telling me that God can do something in my life? It's taken me 46 years even to get to the point where I am now. And you, will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Why do we know that victory is available to you today? Because Jesus has been raised from the dead. That's your answer. Because Jesus has been raised for the from the dead, he's made everything in his life available to you and to me. And he's not excluded you. If you believe it's an act of his will, not your own. And you get to enjoy it today. So as we go back into worship of God, please open your mouth, thank him. And as you leave this place, let's get into the rhythms that will enable us to live this way in Jesus' mighty name. Amen? Amen. All right, thank you.